But I want you to follow very carefully the logic of the Apostle Paul in several passages of Scripture as he deals with certain things that we need to consider. I'd like to title this message tonight, Spots and Wrinkles. Spots and Wrinkles. Now, if you notice the Word of God, the Apostle Paul says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, it appears to me that a spot in our particular garment could be removed, spiritually speaking, by the blood or by the washing of the Word. You see, the, there is no actual blood, literal blood, as you would collect blood plasma in a hospital, that is applied. The Bible tells us that the blood is applied by the Spirit. And, and, and the Word of God is alive and it is quick and it is powerful. The Word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, God's Word that goes through His Spirit, the Word of the Lord, the Bible tells us, is uh, uh, faith, rather, comes to us and is increased in our lives by the Word of the Lord. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? They are spirit and they are life. And God's blood is applied to us by the word or by the spirit. Now, it is necessary that if we have a spot in our garment, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanse that. The Bible tells us that there is nothing that can take away sin except the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, in the Old Testament, it, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin, but that they looked forward to the day in which the Redeemer was to come and take care of all of their spots. Praise God. And just as you and I look back to the cross, the Old Testament Saints who lived prior to the birth and death of Jesus Christ looked forward to that day in which His blood was to take their sin away. And Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11, throughout the book of Hebrews, the Bible makes it very plain that the salvation of all people of all generations was contingent upon the blood of Jesus Christ. The apostle... I say the Apostle, Luke in writing the book of Acts, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves <clears throat> and to all the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, which God has purchased by the shedding of His own blood. And God, being a spirit, could not shed blood except that He come in human form and take upon Himself sonship, flesh and blood, and so that Jesus Christ could come as a propitiation for all of our sins. The word propitiation found in the book of Romans simply means that He came as an appeasement, to offer blood as an appeasement, because only the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to take away spots. But now He speaks of something else besides spots. He speaks of wrinkles. Now, a wrinkle is not taken out of a garment as a result of some cleansing agent. But it's taken out as a result of some effort on the part of an individual. So God has taken out all of our sins with His blood. But then the Lord has come and put in us a different nature and that particular different nature is explained in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Galatians 5.22. If you would just turn there with me, we're going to take a little bit different look at this. Galatians 5, 
Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. God's put His own nature in us so that the very nature or the character of God within us will automatically, if that nature remains alive, if that character remains strong, that nature and that nature alone is able to take care of certain things that besets us. Now, for an example, we talked about sin. And I understand the horrible consequences of sin. But I also understand that there are certain things that that you and I may do that may not be a sin, so to speak. That is a transgression against the law of God. And that's what sin is. In 1 John, the Bible tells us that sin is a transgression against the law of God. But there are certain things that we might do that might not be a sin. But if the nature of God is not active in our life, these things become totally blown out of their perspective. Now, for an example, we look at temperance. Now, temperance is moderation. That simply means that that God has put within us the desire to be moderate. Now, for an example, you know, there is nothing wrong with eating ice cream. We all like to go down to Ellisdale or Bridgman or someplace and sit down and eat ice cream. I just love that. In fact, I wouldn't mind having a dish as soon as I finish preaching. I love ice cream. I just really like it. I just think that it's uh, one of the best foods around. But, you know, but God put His own nature in us and there's nothing wrong with eating ice cream unless you constantly eat too much ice cream. See? And so God has put His own nature in us to take care of certain things that ought to be taken care of. In other words, we preach and we teach that the name of the game in Christianity is discipline. That is true to a degree. We also preach and teach that it's not by works lest any man should boast. So Jesus Christ has come and taken all of our spots away. But there are certain wrinkles that occur occasionally in the garment as a result of our lackadaisical, don't care attitudes that causes the garment, even though it looks clean, to become unkept and wrinkled. You know, the Bible does not speak against works. It only speaks against dead works. When the Bible teaches us that it is by the grace of God that we live, we have to understand that Christ's nature alive within us. If there be any good thing in us, we cannot attribute that to ourselves, the old nature, the old man. Because the old man is perishing. I use this scripture this morning. The Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver us from this body of death? Then he realized that, that he was robed, that, that he had an outward crust of human flesh that would die if God's nature, God's very character, were not alive in him. The ancient Indians of America, some of the tribes had a, a custom, and the custom was that uh, I say custom, they had a particular torture method. And that is they, they would kill one member of another tribe and, and uh, as a method of, of torturing another individual, they would take this dead man that they had killed and tie it, literally tie it, on the back of another individual. And so as a result, uh, uh, here is a man that's strapped. They tie him around the waist, around the legs, around the arms, and around the head. And he's strapped to a dead man. And he can't get away from that dead man. And so for days he tries in a desperate struggle to get away from the dead man. But as decay sets into the one body, it has a way of transferring from one to the other. 
And so you've got this horrible dead man tied to you. And you're set at freedom and liberty out in the vast expanse of nowhere. There's no place to go. You're out in a desert someplace and you've got this dead man attached to your back. And most of the people understood it's just a matter of time until the death of one man is transferred to the body of the other. The decay of one man is transferred to the other. And so the live cells of one individual begins to blend harmoniously to the dead cells of another until the rigor mortis of one is set in on the other. And the infection now is eating away at both bodies. And both men become corrupt. And this is what the Apostle Paul was saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He understood that there was a dead man that was strapped to him that would someday take him back to his grave. And he longed for that day in which the true nature and character of God would become alive. And he would be totally redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Even though we have been redeemed, our inward man has been redeemed. Full redemption does not take place until such a time that the angel of the Lord steps out on the clouds and blasts the trumpet that will change us from mortal to immortal in the twinkling of an eye. Praise God, praise God. And so we long for that day of redemption. Aren't you looking forward and waiting for the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will come and take us all away? But until such a day, we've got to understand that there are two things that we must constantly depend upon. We must constantly depend upon the blood of Jesus to take away our spots. And we must depend upon the character and nature of God to keep the wrinkles out of the garment. And so what the blood has cleansed me of, I must let His character and His nature be vibrant and alive in me so that my garment is kept wrinkle-free. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I'd like to turn, if you would, with me to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And we want to talk to you from Hebrews 1, or 12 and 1. <clears throat> the writer of this particular book, wherefore seeing, we also are, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's say that together. Every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice what verse 1 says. It speaks of every weight and the sin. And the sin which does so easily beset us. Let's first take the latter part and let's consider it. The sin that does so easily beset us. Do you know that there are certain things that we pick up in our life that may be so insignificant and small, but nevertheless, according to the Word of God, it is sin. 1 John 3 verse 4 tells us that sin is a transgression against the law of God. So whatever God has put in His book, if we transgress against that, in other words, if we fail not to keep it, that is a sin. Ecclesiastes 12 14, Ecclesiastes 11, 9, both state the same thing, and that is that every work shall be brought into judgment. When we stand before God to be judged, if we do not make it in the rapture, there is no question about it, brothers and sisters, that a man will have to stand before God to give an account of all of the deeds that he has done in this flesh. He will have to do that. The Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord shall step one foot upon land and one upon sea and declare that time shall be no more. How long will it take God to judge the world? 
I'm not really for sure. Because at this particular time, after the 1,000 years of the millennial reign, where we are with the Lord for this period of time, God sets up the white throne judgment. And every man will walk before God to give an account of all the things that he has done in the flesh. Now, I personally believe that the saints of the Lord who are raptured will be around the throne to judge the world. Peter used this logic. He said, now, if you have problems among yourself, he said, it's not wise for you to go out and get somebody outside of the ranks of the Christian faith to help you solve those problems. Now, his logic was, have not you heard that the saints of the Lord will judge the world? In other words, God has placed within His children the ability to judge right from wrong. Now, I know that that we have a lot of people in our world that every time you try to name something, they say, oh, don't judge, oh, don't judge, oh, don't judge. You find the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter verse 34, he said, he that will judge himself shall not be judged. And that simply means a man who examines his heart, that sends his sin on beforehand to be judged, will not be judged around the white throne judgment. For his sins are sent beforehand, already to be judged. Now, I don't know whether you believe this or not, but I personally believe the, the judgment seat of Christ is set up right now. And the reason why that you and I can come boldly before the throne of grace, as the Apostle Paul says, that you and I right here tonight, as we offer up our petitions before God, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because we have sent our sins our spots own to be judged already. And so when we stand before the Lord, the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so when we send our sin on to be judged, you and I can go boldly before the throne of God. We do not have to hang our head in shame when we come before God. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But to a man who has fully repented of his sins, and he sends those sins on to the judgment seat of Christ, listen, he can come there and stand boldly before the throne of God. And whatsoever we ask, the Bible says we can receive that. If we don't ask amiss, that is evilly. And James says that we receive not. Why? Because we ask not. So you see, there's no reason why that any Christian who has been redeemed, had his spots removed. And he constantly lives with a flow of Christ's blood upon his life. There's no reason why that that man should ever hang his head in shame when he asks God for anything. Praise God. Do you know that whatever your need is, God is able to supply that need. Praise God. Praise God. And if you can go believe in the Lord, and you can stand there... Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says we are made to sit in heavenly places with Christ. Praise God. Praise God. And I like that passage of Scripture because you see, when you sit, you take the load off yourself and you put it on something else. And that's where our rest comes from. Because we can sit in heavenly places with Christ. The load's not on me now. The load's on Him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come unto me, all of you that labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. The Apostle Peter said in Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when times are refreshing. Oh, hallelujah. We sit in heavenly places. We take the load off ourselves and we place it on Christ. Why? Because He bore it all for us on the cross. Oh, hallelujah. He took my sins away. He took my spots away. Oh, praise God. Let's lift our hands and just thank Him for doing this. Oh, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now the Scripture tells us concerning sin that all sin has a unique way of coming into us through three particular gates. In 1 John, the second chapter, verse 16, the Bible says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The Bible tells us that all sin comes to us through this particular measure, through these three gates. That is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now, there is something that we need to understand that is so very simple about overcoming sin. It's very, very simple. Now, it's simple in principle, but in practice, it becomes very complex. Okay? In principle, it's very simple. You can remember it. It's easy to remember. It's very simple to remember. But in practice, it becomes quite complex. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew. The 35th verse, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the pivotal passage of the Old Testament was Deuteronomy 6, 4 and Deuteronomy 6, 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he goes on to say that we should love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Now, he goes on, and this is what he says. And the first, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, the two words that are important in you overcoming sin, the first word is God. And the second word is Others. God and others. Because notice what he said. He says on verse 40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now the three gates in which sin comes to us is what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If a man can consider himself last instead of first, he can be an overcomer. All sin is selfish. Now, if you notice in Exodus, the 20th chapter, would you just turn there just for a minute? Exodus, the 20th chapter. Here we have the original Ten Commandments. And these cover verse 1 through verse, I believe, 17. All right. <clears throat> now, notice how Moses began to give the Ten Commandments. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's he doing? He's establishing the first and the greatest commandment, that he and he alone is God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyselves to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord God will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Now we skip on down. And verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother. And then, of course, verse 13, that thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And verse 17 is dealing with thy not coveting your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife and so forth. Now, if you notice these commandments, all of these commandments are placing regulations upon our relationship First with God, and secondly, with our neighbor. And the whole Old Testament law, every bit of it, is no more than an explanation of how to keep these commandments. So if a man wants to overcome sin, the two words that he must remember, first, he must remember God and his relationship with them, and secondly, others and his relationship with them. And if he's got a good relationship with God, and he's got a good relationship with his neighbor, he has overcome sin. And if there is a breakdown in his communication with God or with his neighbor, this is where the spots come in. And this is where he must then have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and cleanse His garment. So if you want to keep spots out of your garment, just remember the type of relationship that you must have with God. Now forget all about yourself. Just remember your relationship with God. You see, if you love God with all of your heart, If you love God with all of your soul, if you love God with all of your mind, brother, you won't have trouble with alcoholic beverages. You won't have trouble with cigarettes. And you won't have trouble with a non-disciplined life. We have problems with ourselves when we begin to think too much of ourselves and our own needs. Isn't it true that when a person stops soul winning when a person gets his mind off of the purpose of, of, of Jesus Christ coming to the world this is when he begins to drift back and he begins to do things that he ought not do and so as a result sin begins to enter into his life it enters into his life as a result of not having the right relationship with God or the right relationship with his neighbor And all the spots that come to our garment, they come as a result of some selfishness on our part. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, they did so after the devil came and told them that the moment that ye eat of this fruit, ye shall not surely die. For God knoweth that in the day that ye eat thereof, you will become as one of them. Knowing good and evil. And they were tempted with this business of pride. I'm going to be like God. You and I might as well to realize that the only way we will ever be like God is when God's blood has cleansed us and His character is alive in us. And we will not be like God as a result of you and I just trying to be somebody and being good in this life. It will take the nature and the character of God working inside of us. So our lives are controlled when we think first of God and secondly of other people. And I don't know how this fits your fancy tonight, but I just don't believe a person who is selfish can be a good soul winner. It takes a tremendous amount of 
time to visit people and talk to people about God. And do you know that most people who really win people to, to God hardly ever have a problem of their own that they need counsel in? Do you know that? Why? Because they get their mind off of themselves and the things that bother them and the things that's hurting them. And they began to live for a far superior reason than for self. You may say, oh, but Pastor Grant, I think I need a certain amount of attention and satisfaction. Yes, but please remember that happiness and peace and joy is a byproduct of something greater than peace and happiness and joy itself. See, what the world is doing, the world's going around, give me peace, give me peace, I want peace, I want peace. Jesus said in the moment they cry, peace, peace, then come a sudden destruction. Why? Because peace is a byproduct of something greater than peace itself. If you want peace, you must know the prince of peace. And if you want joy, you must know the God that giveth joy. And if you want happiness, you must know the God that makes you happy. For to go out in a quest for peace and happiness and joy, separate and apart of God, will only end up with much frustration and much confusion to yourself. Praise God. But listen, brothers and sisters, you start doing what God wants you to do. And you really get a hold of God the way... God wants you to get a hold of Him. And you start visiting your neighbors and talking to them about the Lord. And you won't have any problem with alcohol and cigarettes and a lot of other things that come in and destroy you. Because upon those two commandments hinge all of the law and the prophets. Now we talk about sin. Let's talk about something else that might be a deviation, closely connected, but at least it was worthy of Paul to put in here. What about weights? The weight and the sin. We're talking about spots and wrinkles tonight. A spot is a sin that only the blood can remove. But sometimes we can become weighted down with certain things that might not necessarily be a sin, but they will lead us to sin. I say they will lead us to sin. Matthew 6.22 is a good passage of Scripture that I feel that we need to turn to and consider tonight in this message. And of course, Jesus is talking about where we should lay up our treasures. Where did he say to lay them up? He said, outside of this world. Isn't that true? Outside of this world. <clears throat> he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you value the most in this life is where your heart's going to be. Verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single... The whole body shall be full of light. Now, this word single means exactly what it says. It's not talking about sin. Well, I thought that darkness came as a result of sin. That is true. There is no question about it. But notice the logic of the Lord. If thine eye be single, then the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. The word single simply means single in purpose. That's exactly what... It means oneness in purpose with God. He goes on down to explain this. No man can serve two Masters. Do you know that there are certain weights that are attached to our living that can lead us to sin? And the Bible says that we should not let any of these weights beset us. 
We should not let those weights put us down. We should not let these weights detract us to take away our mind from the Lord. Now I want to just talk about some of these just for your benefit tonight. I believe that this is so, so very important. You see, you may be praying for a a good job. Maybe all of a sudden the Lord gives you a good job. Now, there is nothing wrong with a good job unless that job takes over the top priority of your life. Then, as you walk with God, your eye is not single. You see, the priorities of a Christian always should be, number one, God. Number two, the family of God. Number three, the work of God. I know that a lot of people break it down and they say, well, the secular and and, uh, the physical and the spiritual. And Listen, the Bible says in Him we live, in Him we breathe, in Him we have our being. It's God all the way with the Christian. All the way with the Christian. But you see, what happens where we are supposed to be married to the message that Christ left us with and married to the God that left that message, it's easy for us to become married to a job. And there's some people that when you ask them about winning people to the Lord, they say, well, my job. Have you ever heard people say, I can't do it because of where I work. By all means. Jesus said, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. For it is better for man to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. You know what happened when they came to Jesus and they said, uh, 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 Jesus was asking them concerning... uh, following him and and being his disciple, one man said, you know, he said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I must go prove them. Now, what's that talking about? That's talking about a man's physical work. He took a very important part of his life, no question about it. The Bible teaches every man that he ought to work. It does. I mean, that teaches that. There's no question about it. I've had a lot of men that come and say, well, if the Lord gives me a good job or so-and-so, then, then I guess I'll take it. And listen, I believe Listen, I believe that if God wants men to work, and He does, that He will supply them with a job if they're sincere. Now, it doesn't mean He's going to come down just like this. He's going to answer it every time. But He'll give you a job. If that's in His Word, don't you worry, brother. He'll get you something to do. <clears throat> Because He does not ever leave us with a mandate that can not be accomplished. It's that simple. So, any man who is here that's out of work, don't be discouraged. Have faith in God. If that is God's idea, brother, He wants to supply it. I really believe that. But the one man said, Well, I can't do this because I just bought these five yoke of oxen and I must go and prove them. And so one thing that would be good for us, and that is to work, can become a weight to us when the very nature of Christ is not alive in our life. And we take on wrinkles as a result of His nature not working within us. If His blood takes away our sin and His nature is alive, we have the mind of Christ flowing through us. Listen, we can have a job in which we can make a million dollars a year and it would not deviate us from our purpose. Then some people, after they're working real hard and the money's coming in, they forget about the God who gave them that job. And they become unthankful. Do you think the Bible teaches against riches? It teaches against uncontrolled riches. You see, it's all right to have money. Don't let money have you. It's all right to own property. Don't let property own you. 
And if our priorities are established right, there are certain things that will be right in our lives always. But they become weights that will hinder us and keep us out of heaven if those things are not placed in their proper perspective. Now, we could go on. One man said, well, he said, uh, I just got married. Now, this is, a, this is a good time for me to talk to some of you who just got married. Did you know that sometimes you get so wrapped up? I've had people say, well, since I got married, I don't have any time to do any of the ministries of the church. You'd have been better off to stay single. That's why Paul says it's better for a man to stay alone. In other words, some people can't keep their priorities right. And if you can't keep your priorities right, and marriage, the Bible says, honorable for all. Marriage is an institution in which God ordained. Jesus Christ performed His first miracle when He turned the water into wine at a marriage feast. So there's nothing wrong with getting married. But it's when that which is right becomes a weight to keep us from doing what we need to do. Now, you may say, but Brother Grant, when, when, you're, when you're married, you just... Oh yes, I understand that, but notice what Jesus said. Now, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, marriage doesn't hinder couples from doing any other thing they want to do. Just like a job doesn't hinder a man from doing most of the things he really wants to do. Isn't that true? Why? You know what? <clears throat> I have planned vacations. I have planned uh, doing things. I planned to go to Europe this past year, and I got uh, I turned my ankle a week before I left, and I went over to East Town, and I found a new pair of shoes that, that kind of gave me a little bit of comfort. My throat was sore and everything. I still went over and preached that conference. I wanted to do it. I've already bought my deer license. I, I bought those deer license uh, in time to get my hunter's choice permit in October 1st. And I will say that sick or well, I'll go deer hunting. Would you agree? You see, we usually end up doing what we want to do. Isn't that true? And so sometimes the thing that is honorable and the thing that is ordained of God, when it is not done or handled with much discretion, it becomes a weight. It puts wrinkles in our garment. It may not necessarily be classified as a sin, but it is something that Christ does not want. For when He comes back, He doesn't want any spots or wrinkles. He doesn't want any sin or weights that will hold us down. If we can only keep our eye single, oneness and purpose, Christ first called me to be a Christian. He gave me a Christian marriage, all of which I'm thankful for. And He gave me a job, of which I'm thankful for. But if I cannot witness doing what I am doing, I must, I must out of pure necessity of making heaven my home, find me something else to do. Because God will never ordain one law that will nullify another. And even though He said work, he didn't say work at the expense of letting your neighbor go to hell. Now I'm yelling at you now. <laughs> Praise God. But it's true, isn't it? You know that it's true. Praise God. And there's people everywhere that are lost. There's people everywhere that's dying. 
And God does not want you to consider your own welfare above and beyond your neighbor's welfare. And the greatest need in your neighbor's life is not the cakes that you make and it's not the offerings that you take over, but it's the hunger of his soul that must be met when somebody gives him a message of God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Spots and wrinkles. Spots and wrinkles. We could go on and on and on. Let's just talk about something that, that's uh, quite a subject for all of us who like to hunt and fish and all of this. You knew that was coming, didn't you? <clears throat> you know? You know, <clears throat> when Jesus came by, thank you, Brother John, Jesus said, uh, boys, I want you to sell your boats and hang up your nets and... And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, some people say, now, Jesus Christ doesn't want people to pity. So if we use that logic, we have to take every man's physical occupation and say, well, it's wrong for him to do that. In fact, I can even show you where the resurrected Lord told a group of disciples who were non-productive in fishing exactly where to put their net and catch them. Did he not? They fished all night and they didn't catch anything. All night long they toiled and labored. And just before the break of day they saw the fire glowing. The Lord was even making a fire to cook their catch. This was the third time that He appeared to His disciples. And once they saw this lonely figure and the fire coals glistening, they looked with amazement. The master took his hand and cupped his hands around his mouth. And he says, Children, have you any meat? And they responded back, Nothing! He said, cast your nets on the right side of the ship. Well, they've been fishing all night on the left side. Now, isn't it strange that even Jesus Christ sometimes can give you some pointers as to where to go and what to catch and so forth. One man asked me, he said, you know, I went out deer hunting. Is it wrong for me to pray that I'll kill something? I said, I suppose Jesus was concerned about them catching something because he told them right where to put their net. I don't see anything wrong with that, do you? It's when those things are blown out of proportion and they become your number one priority that makes them a weight that will hold you down. You know, you can fish until now, and the trumpet blows if you do it in moderation. But you see what happens, most of the time, it's easy for us. Now come on, man, get behind me. Isn't it easy for us to go? We can go every Saturday, sometimes even Sundays, and every time we want to go. And yet, when we talk about teaching church truth, I don't have any time. How come you don't have any time? True enough, before you started hunting and fishing, you didn't have any spare time. But you made time for what you wanted to do. But you have not made time to do what God wants you to do. We're talking about spots and rings. I said, we're talking about spots and wrinkles. But sometimes we pat ourselves on the back simply because that we're not a defiler. And we don't go around doing anything that's sin, quote, unquote. When all the time we're sinking deeper and deeper and wrapping ourselves more and more and more in self. Now, <clears throat> I personally remember pastoring in Texas there was a little situation that came up almost all one summer I had relatives that would call me 
And uh, they'd say, you know, t today is Uncle Joe's birthday. Well, I enjoy birthdays. But it got where all I did was stay at Uncle Joe's and Aunt Elsie's and various places visiting my relatives. Uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed that. I don't suppose there's anything wrong with that, is it? Jesus even went with some of his disciples to their relatives' home. Did he not? Sure he did. There's no question about that. He went in and ate with them and talked with them and, and communicated with them. There's no question about it. But did you know that one thing that can become a weight to you is your own family? You can have children who live all over the country and all you want to do, and this is no reflection, I've got children. I had a son in Texas who was back with us. I'm glad to see him here. But it would have been great. I have my parents. They live in Texas. I love my parents. The Bible says honor them. But I can't stay down there all the time with them. And there's nothing wrong with a good, strong family. In fact, did you know the Bible encourages that? It's when the family takes the number one position of your life. So, you got your job, which you should have. You got your recreation, which is fine and dandy. You got your family, which is ordained to the Lord. You got your marriage, which is honorable to the Lord. So, we have a combination of things that constantly pull at us. This is when the true nature and character of God must be put in operation. So that wrinkles do not occur. Because these wrinkles become weights that keep us down. When the apostle speaks of running a race, you know how people run races? If you were not a race tonight, if I challenge you to a race, what kind of shoes would you put on? You wouldn't go get your big rolled in work with You wouldn't get your safety toed shoes and say, I'm going to race with Brother Grant. If I told you that I was going to race you, you would not go to your closet and pick out the heaviest coat that you could possibly put on. You wouldn't go and get your long johns Are you insulated underwear? And put all of that on. After a while you come out. And you got this big hat on. This big coat on. And these heavy shoes on. What are you doing? I'm getting ready for a race. Those things would become weights. That would keep you from running the race. That is set before you. The men who swim in the Olympics are so very careful that nothing holds them back. That they shave the hair off their arms and chest and they, some of them shave their heads. And they soak themselves in oil so they will slip through the water like a fish. Because a little tiny hair multiplied by a million will hold you down, so they say. If all of these become great concerns to individuals, how much more should our activities in our life in view of the fact that our crown is incorruptible? For we are not trying to put a metal on a lapel, but a crown on a head. Would you stand with me right now? Praise God.
Oh, praise God. Oh, Jesus, Lord. Give us singleness of purpose. Please understand, brothers and sisters, I believe that we have so many dear saints who want to do one thing in life, and that is make heaven their home. And we have people here who would lay aside everything they're doing to go talk to somebody about Jesus. But I believe it's preaching like this that keeps that desire generated in us and keeps us in balance. Listen. It's alright to deer hunt. But don't become a fanatic at it. It's alright to fish. But don't be obsessed with a hobby. It's alright to work on a job. But don't be married to that system. It's alright to own riches. But don't let riches own you. It's all right to have many of the things that God has given to us. But let's enjoy them. Because when they're taken out of proportion, all the joy leaves and they become just another task to become enslaved to. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. If you read Revelation 2, you find that there are letters written to the churches. Revelation 3, they are continued, so seven letters are written to seven different churches. And all of these letters, the Lord commends the churches on all the things they're doing that's good. But then He speaks of some things that they're doing that's not so good. And then He gives the individual promise to all the people of the seven churches, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. The church at Ephesus, the church of Sardis, the church of Thyatira, the church of Smyrna, the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea, right down the line. The individual promise to him that overcometh. What do we mean by overcoming? Overcoming weights and sins. And then the book of Revelation closes with a beautiful promise. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. What do we mean by overcoming? We mean overcoming spots and wrinkles some things are always wrong regardless of how little or how much you do it it's always wrong that's sin friend but some things are only wrong when they become number one in your life that's wrinkles that's weights and both can keep you out of heaven. It'd be bad enough to go to hell because of sin. But to go to hell because that you did something that was fine for you to do, but you did it too much, would be worse yet. Praise God. Let's just lift our hands and ask God to watch over us, to be with us to lead us, to direct us. Oh, hallelujah. To let us not forget our priorities, our list. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be You know, not too long ago, somebody came and asked me, they said, Brother Grant, did you know that your church can enjoy a very healthy income by making peanut brittle all year long? And I said, that's right. This was a person from another church. Now, I'm not the pastor of this other church, and I don't really care what they do. But I explained this to the individual. I made up my mind a long time ago. We'd make peanut brittle. October, November, and December. And that's all. Because we cannot become so involved in making money that we forget about our message. We can't keep people tied up. So we'll work for a season. And then we'll evangelize for a season. I see nothing wrong with the church raising funds if those funds are used for the purpose of propagation of the gospel. But we don't want to become so involved in the raising of money we forget about the gospel. For what could be good becomes a weight. And you have all your people tied up all the time baggaging and packaging and selling peanut brittle. So I said, no, we'll make it only for three months, and then we cut her off. I've seen churches develop recreational programs, which are great. It'd be nice to have a picnic every Saturday, wouldn't it? And there's nothing wrong with picnics and fellowship. Didn't you enjoy our picnic, Labor Day? Oh, listen, I'm looking forward to Labor Day next year. I think I'm going to fast and pray a week beforehand that it won't rain. <laughs> That's how much I love fellowship and recreation. But you know, sometimes Christians can get their own little cliques to where all they do is step on, stay on a golf course or at somebody's house having a party or something. Well, those things are fine. But that is not all there is to life. Jesus said, life is more than meat. And the body is more than raiment. He did not say that you should not eat and clothe yourself well. He said it's more than that. For a man's life consists of more than the abundance of the things that he possesses. His possessions are part of it. But it's more than that. Praise God. Praise God. It's all right to work for the Lord in a very physical way, even around the church. Somebody has to do it, and I say we all should do it. But we don't want to become so enslaved to our building that we forget that the temple of God the true temple of God is flesh and blood tabernacles. You can become so involved in painting walls and cleaning carpets that you forget to sweep the inside of the real temple. That's why churches can get in ruts. And it's easier to get people to work night than it is to prayer night. It's easier to get them to work on certain projects than it is to knock on somebody's door and tell them about the Lord. Now, all of these things are important, but life is more than that one thing. It becomes a curse only when the good becomes the best. The best thing we can do is preach and teach the gospel and keep God 
number one. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all. The kingdoms of my heart. Jesus, be. Monty is going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like for George to step out if he would and come. We'd like for three or four brothers to come and just kneel with him and pray right here. George, just come and kneel down right here. And some of you gather around him and pray with him. Would you do that right now? Now, if we have anybody else that'd like to surrender their life and their heart to God, would you step right out? Would you come and surrender you all to God right now? Would you do that? Come on right now, would you? Jesus, I surrender.